good morning again, and we are so glad that you've joined us today here at Long Hill. Uh, one quick thing I wanted to make some of you aware of, some of you who may give online uh, on our online giving platform. We've actually changed platforms, so if you go to that screen and you open it up and it looks different, nobody is trying to steal your identity. Like, it's not one of those phishing sites that tries to get your stuff. It's just a new platform. We have some exciting things that will be, be rolling out in the next few months around that, but I just wanted to make you aware of that. If you see something that looks a little different, uh, do not be alarmed. It is the correct place, and it's just some changes that we're making to make that uh, able to serve you and to serve the ministers here at Long Hill Chapel just a little bit better. Well, we've been in a series called The Story We Find Ourselves In, and it's been a summer series through some of the many parables that Jesus uh, taught in the New Testament Gospels, which are the accounts of his life and his ministry. And a parable really is just a story that is specifically constructed to drive home a point. So everything about the story is intentionally chosen, it's intentionally picked, and it's there to make a very specific set of points. And there's some very long ones, there's some very short ones, there's some that many of us know, regardless of whether you grew up in church or Sunday school or you didn't, you probably heard a few of them. And there's some that are much more obscure and so we've been kind of going through some of those, and we've been learning together about how Jesus would have us live, both presently and in, in, the, in the rest of our lives, all the way up until the end. How many of you, when you were kids, and some of you are kids, so maybe you get to answer this from a different perspective, uh, when your parents would leave you, things would happen. Like, they'd leave you with the babysitter who happened to be like your older sibling, and things would happen, or they'd say, hey, we're going home, going away for the weekend, uh, just make sure you don't do anything crazy. Can any of you relate to that? I can certainly relate to that. Uh, my older brother is here in the, in the seats this morning, and we shared a, a great experience. He's older, he, he babysat me, uh, I put that in air quotes, because we just did all sorts of nefarious things together. My dad might be watching online, so dad, I'm sorry in advance for uh, all the things you're going to learn. Uh, but one of the things that my brother got really into Christian heavy metal music, uh, because that was the only kind that we were technically allowed to listen to, and, and there was this band in the 80s called Striper. Does anyone remember Striper? I have a picture. There you go. Make sure that picture gets up there because it's really important. Um, so <laughs> these gentlemen uh, dressed up in, think Motley Crue, but with Bibles. That's, that's basically what this is. Um, they dressed up in yellow and black spandex, and they played uh, allegedly Christian music and threw Bibles into the crowd and looked basically like that. And uh, that was, uh, I wished I was as cool as my brother. I still do, by the way, just so you know, John. I, I wish I was as cool as you. But uh, one of the things we would do is, because he was so into that, is we would dress up as closely as we could with the available things that we had in our house. Uh, to a couple of the members of Striper, uh, he had a big stereo, and we put the, put the cassette on. I would get Christmas lights out of the attic Christmas storage, like arrange them around the room so it looked as much like a concert stage as we could possibly come up with. And we had these giant Tinker Toys, not like the little ones, but the big ones, and we made whatever was the closest thing we could make with Tinker Toys, like fake guitars. And we would just rock out the striper, like we'd just be running around the stage, and we'd you know, do some kicks, and if I do too much more of this, they're going to have to carry me out of here again, and we don't want that. So um, it was just, it was, it was a blast. And, but the thing we're always aware of in this, I could go on endlessly about this story, because it's just so amazing, but uh, we're very, very aware of the fact that our parents were coming home. And so there was always this awareness of the time, and maybe, you know, we just kind of check and see where we were and where they were, and this was before they texted, so you just never knew when they were going to show up. There was like this time that they said they were going to come home, but it was so important that we had the concert taken down 
before they got back home uh, so that they would have no idea uh, what would have happened. And some of you have a similar version of that. Maybe it's even crazier. Maybe you like it's one of those parties that you see in those movies that we won't discuss here where just like everything gets out of control and you have to get it back to the way it was before your parents come home. I think one of the things that challenges us is we take that very same mindset when it comes to God. We take that very same mindset uh, when it comes to God, and especially when it comes to this thing that we call the second coming of Jesus, or the, the end of things. And there's all sorts of different ways that that's described. And we've been looking for the past couple weeks in our journey through these parables about how do we live now? How do we live in the meantime between now and then? And this week we're going to look at a very short parable that has a very long setup that really talks about the end. And some of you are like, yes! It's about time he did that. And, you know, because what happens with Christians and church people is we're fascinated, I would say even sometimes fixated, maybe even obsessed with the end of things. We look around the world and we see war, we see violence, we see, you know, just all of the extremes. We see, you know, it seems like the weather is changing and it seems like, you know, things are just kind of not held together as well as they were. And so we start to say, where is this going? And how does this play itself out? And so this tends to be something that many of us really get a little bit fixated on. You know, Christians, we have books, we have movies about this. We're looking for the signs. And one of the things we're all trying to do in some level, whether we spend any time on this or not, is to connect the dots. But here's what I want to suggest to you today, is knowing how things end is not an end to itself. Let me say that again. Knowing how things end is not an end to itself. It's something that if we do, it gives us the right perspective to live well in the meantime. So knowing that there's a great, grand, and glorious conclusion for those of us who have faith in Jesus— is the thing that gives us the right perspective to live in the right way in the meantime, regardless of what happens around us. But it's not a license to feel superior. It's not a license to look down on everybody else and say, I've got it figured out, you don't, ha ha, na 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 na. And it's also not permission to become obsessed with how and when. We're going to look at a very short parable, as I said, that has a very long setup. And, and Jesus uses a fig tree as a metaphor. And fig trees for us, we don't really, most of us have them around. But fig trees were very common. So this was just a very common thing that most people had growing somewhere nearby. They knew what they looked like. They knew their life cycle. They knew how they lived. And he uses this as a picture for how things are going to begin to play out. And as we set this parable up, Jesus and his disciples have just left the temple, which was like the center of not only the Jewish faith, but it was the center of the entire Jewish identity. At this time, uh, the Is Israelite lands were occupied by the Roman Empire, and so this temple was kind of the thing that they held on to that said, this is what makes us, us. You know, some of you uh, remember the events of September 11th. I certainly do. I was actually working here at Long Hill Chapel, and I just remember how shaken it felt. And it wasn't just about the, the violence of the events, but it was about what seemed like something that was safe and unassailable was suddenly vulnerable. 
We just all felt that if you were alive or if you were of age at that time, and things just changed around that. And so for this ancient group of people, it's kind of that same thing. This is like the thing that is an anchor point for them in their society. And Jesus, is they were just leaving the temple, and someone was just remarking on the architecture. One of his disciples saying, how this thing is amazing. And Jesus, just offhandedly, he says, there's going to be a time where not one stone of this place is left on top of another. And that would have been as shocking to them as September 11th would have been to, as it was to us. And what happens in the aftermath is immediately his disciples start trying to plan. They start doomsday prepping, as it will, for how this is all going to work itself out. They start asking, how do we know that that time is getting close so that we can get ready? What do we need to do to be on the lookout for this terrible thing? What do we need to do to be watching out for when our parents get home? And the Jesus proceeds in this very subtle way, as he often does, and I think it's incredibly frustrating for some of us to answer a different question. Have you ever asked someone a question, and they go on, and they talk for a while, but they, they answer like, it's not the question you ask, and you're like, come on back. I ask you a question. You're over here now. Some of us do that with our kids. I do that with my kids all the time. But Jesus does that, but what he does is not accidental. He's not just rambling. He's showing a different picture that I think is important for us to begin to understand. And so we're going to read today, uh, beginning in Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 3. And so this is after this little temple event has happened. We're going to skip around a little bit for the sake of time. But it goes like this. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And that's the destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When are you coming home? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. And at that time, there were a lot of people who would come around, because remember again, the Jewish people are occupied by the Roman Empire, and they saw the Messiah very much as this political, military leader who would come throw off the, the, the yoke of oppression and make things right again. And there were all sorts of people who would pop up and start insurrections, and periodically they'd just get squashed by the Romans. And so there's many literal people who claim to be the savior of these ancient people. But we all struggle with a similar reality. Because I think we look at this, even if you're a person of faith, and you say, well, I would never, like, fall for, like, a cult or, like, a false leader or someone who, who wasn't preaching the truth. But we all fall for false messiahs all the time. What is a messiah? A messiah is one who is saving you from something. And a false messiah is simply anything or anyone that says, I offer salvation from fill-in-the-blank. I offer salvation from that group of people. I offer salvation from whatever's happening in the world. I offer salvation for your way of life that you feel the need to protect, but there's always a catch and there's always a price tag if you put your trust in me. And we are at danger, friends, for finding our salvation, or trying to find it in places other than Jesus and political leaders, in an economic status or way of life, in a certain way that things go in the world, a certain social order, 
in our own ability to control, to understand, to produce, to achieve, or even our good works or our doctrine or our mindset. But the problem is none of those things can save us. Only Jesus can. And so Jesus goes on, and he starts to paint a picture, and it's not a great picture. He says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. You know, and suddenly some of us, we feel ourselves and we feel our world in this description. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. We look at the world around us, and there's some point at which our faith in any good happening is just shaken to the point where we give up and we become cynical. And suddenly what Jesus is describing isn't just something that's happening out there. It's not just something that's happening in the world. It's not just something that's happening in the news. It's something that has the potential to happen in our hearts. Because what happens at some point is we look at the world around us and we say, things are getting really bad. They're getting really challenging. They're getting really sketchy. I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to circle the wagons and I'm going to look after myself and I'm going to look after mine. And that's going to be what we do. We're going to look out for us because it just doesn't seem like it's worth it. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom. So the way of Jesus will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So there's this powerful verse that not only the message of Jesus, but the way of Jesus will be declared in the entire world, and then the end will come. So that's the context. And now we're going to get over to the parable. So we pick up a couple verses before, and it's not happier, friends. I'm sorry about that. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And so what's happening here is, if you look at this in your Bible, there's quotes around it. And Matthew, the writer of the gospel, is actually quoting from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And what he does over and over again, Matthew does this specifically, is he's referring back to the Old Testament to establish the credentials of Jesus. He says, there's these things that the prophets back there talked about, and now they're up here again. And Jesus brings them into the present moment and, and connects them to his own Self, his own fact that he is the Son of God. He is the Savior and Lord of all. He is the Messiah. And then finally, things change. Verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. There's a curious verse in there. The peoples of the earth will mourn. Now when we, if you're a person of faith, when you see Jesus coming, when you believe that the return of Jesus is imminent, we have rejoicing. We have celebration. We look forward to that with great hope. 
But what this is really saying is the way of the world, the peoples of the world, the people who occupy the way of the world around us, the powers of the earth will mourn because it represents the end of their way. It represents the end of their power. And here finally is the parable. Verse 32, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. Remember, everyone knew what a fig tree was. We might not, but they did. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. And we know, like I have a bunch of, I have this backyard with some trees in the back of it, and I know when the buds come out, when the leaves start to come on, I can, even if I don't know what month it is, if I lost track of a calendar, I can tell you about what time of year that is. Even so, when you see all of these things that he's just described, you know that it's near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. So he says, I don't know, but only the Father. And so he goes on this long excursion and tells them a lot of things and the question they ask was when is it going to happen and at the end he says no one knows when it's going to happen by the way i also don't know what's going to happen and when it's going to happen but here's what it's going to begin to look like and i think the thing that's important for us especially if you've been a person of faith for a long time is if jesus doesn't know exactly the hour there's no way that we can either and so we ought to probably move on a little bit from that and so Jesus is kind of saying, when are our parents going to get home? When do we have to start cleaning up the rock show before everyone gets back? And honestly, sometimes when it comes to this, for those of us who are people of faith, that's where we find ourselves. You know, when do I really have to get serious? You know, when do I really have to actually, you know, follow Jesus? Can I have some fun now, and can I do that later? And so Jesus' disciples ask that question and Jesus doesn't really answer it, and it's kind of this unsatisfying thing. But I think it forces us, and it forced them to add, ask a much better question. And that question is this, how should we be living with the end in mind? How should we be living Knowing that there is an end, knowing that this isn't forever, knowing that the way that the world is around us isn't the way it is forever. And for some of us, we're like, man, I can't wait to get to the end because this seems really tough. You know, I'm struggling in my physical body, and I look forward to the day where I won't have to do that anymore. You know, I'm struggling with all the things that are happening in the world, and I'm looking forward to the day I don't have to do that anymore. And some of us on the other side are like, man, life is really good. I don't want that to happen and come spoil it. And this requires us to shift our perspective. Jesus says, in essence, he says, when you begin to see the signs, get ready, make sure you're living with the end in mind. But here's the thing, friends, and this is what I want you to get. You can always see the signs. You can always see them. Now, I remember when the war in Ukraine started about a year and a half ago, and I was laying on my couch and watching it unfold on TV, and I was like, oh boy, here we go. You know, nuclear-armed power, another one that could, you know, this, that has a bunch of allies around. It's like, it just is like a tinderbox with a spark in it. And it's so easy for us to say, okay, here's the thing that's going to happen. But the reality, friends, is that every generation has been saying the same thing. Every generation has been saying, this is the moment. 
I can only imagine when the Civil War sprung up in this country in the 1800s, everyone was like, oh, that's it. When World War I did, or when the Great Depression did, or when the Holocaust did, or when World War II did, or when the atomic bomb was detonated. And you can go all the way back in history, and you can see that there have always been wars. There have always been rumors of wars. There have always been cataclysms. As Jesus was speaking, he was speaking to an audience that was familiar with the Roman Empire and their wars of conquest around the world. And at that time, there were about at least a half dozen of those going on. And so there was no good old days. That's what I want us to understand. There may be these blips in history where it seems like things are going a little bit better and they're a little bit easier, but every generation has thought that they were the last generation, and Jesus even says that himself. And I think what happens as a result of that is it's easy for us to look at a story like this and verses like this and a reality in our faith like this and start to try to answer the question of, when are my parents going to come home? Versus, how should I be living as a representative of the kingdom of God in the meantime? How can I live representing a different way in a world that is full of pain and full of suffering and full of struggle, where everything seems so difficult, where everything seems so threatened? How can I live with open hands? And an open heart. And that, friends, is the challenge that you and I, especially when we encounter these things, we have to continually turn ourselves to Jesus. Because instead of trying to figure out when the end is and when we should get ready, we have the opportunity to live with that in mind all of our days. Whether we are the last generation and Jesus comes soon, whether there are many generations to go, not as fearful, not as afraid, not as looking out for ourselves, but with open hands and open hearts. And I believe, friends, that's the reason Jesus tells us about the end, to live in the best way possible now. And here's what I want to do, though, with the rest of our time. I want to paint a picture of why and how we can do that. Because if you're anything like me, you wake up, and you're like, man, I want to live in the best way possible. We all do it. We all want to live lives that way, but then life happens to us. We walk out the door. We face that person or that circumstance again, and it just saps us of our hope. And I want us to be the kind of people who look at our lives as something that's a limited, finite resource that we get to invest in the best way that we possibly can. So here's what we know about the end. We don't know the hour. We don't know the day. But we do know these things. Jesus will return. And it will be impossible for us to miss. You know, we believe here at Long Hill Chapel that Jesus returns and it's a physical tangible reality. It's not a symbolic thing. It's not a spiritual thing. It's not just, you know, something that kind of floats over. It's something that's impossible to miss. Here's some good news for a lot of us today. Jesus gets the final word. Jesus gets the last word. We look around the world and we see suffering. We see war. We see injustice. You look around your life and you see places where it seems so unfair and so unjust, and it seems like there's no way for the scales to be balanced. 
You look in your body and you see the things that you struggle with. You see the things psychologically or emotionally that every single day you wake up, you're facing that thing again and again and again, and it's exhausting. You look in your relationships and you see brokenness. And the good news, friends, is that Jesus gets the last word in every single one of those places. From the very small to the very large, from the global, all across the world, cataclysmic, to the very personal things that are in each one of our hearts. Jesus gets the final word. And here's some more good news. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. Because Jesus came to defeat death and it's lost its power. And I think some of the things that we tend to do so much without really realizing that we're doing it is we often spend more time trying to avoid death than we do living life. We simply try to avoid the bad thing. And we never risk, we never put ourselves out there, we never put ourselves forward. And we miss out on all that life has to offer, not only just in the natural sense, but all that Jesus has given us when he said, I have come so that you might have life abundantly. You might have it to the full. And that doesn't mean necessarily, friends, that our circumstances all get better. I think one of the things we all try to do is we look for these moments in our lives where we can make everything make sense and we can get everything working right and then we can protect it. And that's just not how life is. But we have the reality that all of those things that represent death, not only actual death, but the things that feel like death, the end of relationships, rejection, loss, those things, because of Jesus, are not the end. And because of that, because of all this, we do not have to live we do not have to live afraid. You know, last night at a, about 1.45, that nice tornado alarm went off on all of our devices. If you have a lot of devices around your house, that's a lot of tornado alarms. So it's like, I'm like, where's the air raid? What's going to happen? You know, and it startled all of us awake, and it started my older son awake, and I had to kind of put him back to sleep. But one of the things I'll just share kind of transparently with you, is in the middle of the night, that's when all of my fears face me down and I have to stare them all in the face. You know, during the day, things are great. At night, sometimes they're kind of hard because all the strategies, all the self-talk, all of the things that we all do, many of us do kind of figure that stuff out. It just doesn't work all that well. And in those moments, you and I still have Jesus. We still do. We have Jesus, and sometimes that's all you can do is say, here it is, here I am, here's all this stuff, here's what I'm worrying about that's going to happen tomorrow or next week, or here's what's in the future. Jesus, I lay it down before you, and I hold on to in faith that you are who you said that you are, because this isn't like a magic spell. This is something that you and I have to walk out in faith, step after step after step after step. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to let those things rule we don't have to let them define our lives. So we close this morning. 
I want you to listen to one of the, word, the words of one of the early leaders of the church, which was a man named the Apostle Paul. He was writing to a church that was struggling to make sense of death and of life and of the end, just like many of us were. It was the first letter that he wrote to a group of Christians. We have many of them in the New Testament. And what had happened is people had put their faith in Jesus, and because of this imminent hope that the Lord was going to return, that he was going to come back, like people were, they were like quitting their jobs, and they were like selling everything, and it was, it was super extreme, and they were expecting Jesus to return at any moment, but then what was happening is it didn't happen, and people were beginning to die off. And they had a lot of questions. They're like, God, we put our faith in you. What in the world is going on? And there was this concern that they would miss out on that glorious reunion that we sang about just a little bit earlier. And so in the book, the letter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 16, the Apostle Paul addresses this. And this is one of the passages when I stand at a funeral. More often than not, I, I speak from this. And it's Paul reminding them, and he's reminding us of what's true. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want to be clear what he's doing here. This isn't like the logistics. This isn't like specific logistics. He's not talking with that language. He's talking with reminding them of the hope that they have in Jesus. And I want to leave you, and I want to leave myself, and maybe if you haven't put your faith in Jesus this morning, this is the time to begin that journey of faith and trust. And I want to leave you with incredible hope because honestly, this year, for me, especially <laughs> for a number of reasons, I have felt the frailty and the fragility and the limits not only of my own life, but of our lives here together more than any other year, and maybe you have too. But here's what we do in the meantime. Let's become fixated on Jesus who is coming back. I said that very specifically. Jesus who is coming back. Not Jesus coming back or when or how or all that, but Jesus. As the scriptures say, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let's stay there and let the reality that he will return. He does get the final word. Death is not the end, and because of that, we don't have to be afraid anymore be something we practice day in and day out. Focus on the who and not on the when. It's easy for us when we see the world around us to turn ourselves inward. I do it, you do it, we all do it. But when we live with the end in mind, with open hands, and open hearts because of who Jesus is, because of what he's accomplished, and because he gets the last word. We have the power and the perspective to do that. And here's something that's so important. I think it's actually the most important verse in what the Apostle Paul wrote to that early church that had all those questions. Therefore, encourage one another 
with these words. One of the greatest things you can do is to find someone else who's struggling on that journey and encourage them with these words. Your friends, some of you this year have done that with me. You continue to do that with me. That is one of the greatest gifts that you give me and that we give each other. And it's one of the reasons I love so much being part of this church. We remind ourselves of what's true continually, over and over and over again. Because the world around us makes it so easy to lose sight of that. And that is the story that we find ourselves in. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, we cry out to you today. Some of us in these seats, uh, we came in with a smile and a handshake, but internally we're going through deep water. We're really struggling. If we were to be honest, that really is what's underneath the surface. I pray that your light, the blessed hope of who you are, would shine into our hearts, shine into our lives. Some of us, we look at the world around us, and for whatever number of reasons, it makes it tempting to bolt the doors, to turn inward, to circle the wagons. But that's not who you've called us to be. You've called us to something so much greater than that. Because of who you are, would your love pour into our hearts today? Would it chase the darkness to the periphery with the light of who you are? It would allow us to turn outward again with open hands and open hearts and to step into the world that desperately needs to hear and see the light and hope of Jesus Christ. We are aware that unless we do it, the light stays in here. It was never designed to stay in here. Would we be a church, Jesus, where hope abounds, where hope always rises, where we encourage each other with these words, regardless of what's happening in our lives and regardless of what's happening in the world around us? Would we be a people marked by hope, which is a decision that we've made that we walk towards step after step after step? But most of all, Jesus, because you defeated sin and death in the grave, would you do that in our hearts today? Maybe for some of us, for the very first time, where we simply just pray, Jesus, I put my faith and my trust in you. I recognize that you are my Lord and my Savior. That you came and you died for my sin and you rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death, to give me hope that lasts forever and begins now. Wherever the strikes us, God, would you meet us in it? And would we be people who live with the end in mind? But we live that every single day, full of joy and full of your presence. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.